0: Not only is the Christian called to battle, the pastor is called to battle both for himself and for the ones that the Lord has given him to shepherd. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. Second Timothy this morning. Second Timothy, specifically chapter two. We were going to continue in our prayer series, and we will. But I felt this time was a time to focus ourselves on pastoral ministry, a way to look at the goodness, the weight of the calling. Give honor to a family who bore that weight well. We recognize when we have these services, however, and I know this is Pastor Fisher and Ronalee's desire, where specifically we're devoted to the honor of an individual or a couple or a family. It is primarily a reflection in honoring the Lord. We focus on the goodness of the Lord and gospel ministry, the strength of Christ, and that's where we will center this morning. But I do want you to think of the remarks that I make this morning with the fishers as a a backdrop, with pastors as a backdrop. Maybe you don't regularly attend this church, and so maybe you should think of your own pastor as we study these truths together. It happens occasionally, not often, but happens occasionally when all week I've studied and Completely ready, or maybe not ready, and the Lord's just guiding me a different direction. It happened this week. This particular time, it happened yesterday, so it was a little more of a panic. But the, the Lord has called many of you to many different tasks. Some of you do the same things as others. We have farmers in our congregation. We'll actually look at the picture of a farmer here in the passage. Accountants, auditors, cleaners, there's many different tasks, many different vocations represented in this room. The one that we'll discuss this morning is particular in its appointment. It's particular in its gravity, not better, more important. Just specific and maintains specific trials and testings we are in the pastoral epistles keep in mind that this is a each time we study the pastorals it is a it's a it's a letter written from Paul to one of his disciples one of his followers one of the ones that he is one of the men that he is mentoring specifically for the purpose of gospel ministry obviously Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus, and he receives this letter, one of two letters from the apostle. Paul is concluding his ministry. He he feels he is about to die, and we read that passage earlier where he feels confident that he has served the Lord well if his life were to come to an end. And so as you keep these things in mind, Remember that we have a minister of the gospel speaking to a minister of the gospel. They understand one another. They understand the hardship of their lives. No pastor should have to pastor without a mentor. No pastor should have to pastor alone, and many do. There's pastors all across this country... Who are pastoring in places where they're completely unseen and they're completely unheard of. It's challenging. But on a personal note, as we think about Paul and Timothy, as we think about Paul and Titus, as we think about Paul and Epaphroditus, it is true that in the Lord's leading, I would not be here without the Lord sending me a Paul. Not just in my position. I wouldn't think about gospel ministry the same way. I wouldn't do gospel ministry the same way. I wouldn't do it like I should the few times that I do it like I should. And so I'm thankful that I've been able to be a Timothy for a faithful, compassionate Paul. Let's read our passage this morning. We're going to give four observations about a true gospel servant. Starting together in verse 1. Remember, Paul is addressing a younger gospel minister. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. The offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains, as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything, everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is going to be an overview message, again, just so that we can be efficient with the time the Lord has given us. But I'm going to say things today about the nature of pastoral ministry that maybe you have thought about, maybe you haven't thought about. I do my best to be consistent with the passage as we always are. But I do want you to think about this calling as pastor. I want you to think about this this difficult, God-appointed task And I want you to think about your Savior who makes all of this possible, all of the benefits that you may receive from a shepherd of the Word, an under-shepherd of the message of Christ. I want you to think about the person of Jesus Christ who truly does show all ministers of the gospel the way. Let's look together firstly at verse 1. You then, my child... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul, instructing his understudy in the ministry, centers his attention on the source of true strength. And so our first observation, our first sign of a true servant this morning is that a true servant of the gospel centers their followers on the source of true strength. A true servant of the gospel centers their followers on on the source of true true strength. There's a specific application here. A pastor speaking to a younger pastor, helping him become a better pastor. A more experienced minister, speaking to a lesser experienced minister, to help him become a better one. But there is general application for all who have a disciple maker in their life. And every single one of you have a disciple maker in your life. If you're within the ministry of a local church, that pastor is your discipler. By nature of his calling to present to you the word of God, the message of Jesus Christ, and to call you to submit to that word, he is A discipler in your life. But notice what Paul does. Paul assumes in this passage certain things. And the primary assumption, and you'll see this, but I think you see it in in verse 1. The primary assumption Paul makes is when you serve God in gospel ministry, you're going to suffer. You're going to experience pain. Why else would he say, endure, be strengthened? If you need the instruction to be strengthened, there's obviously a way that you're going to feel weak. But he doesn't say be strengthened with happier circumstances. He doesn't say be strengthened with the joy you may receive from your family. He doesn't say be strengthened from the happy feelings you might get when the nice old lady in church says, oh, you're the next Charles Spurgeon. Don't comfort yourself with the accolades of people. Don't feel good when ministry is feeling good, is going good. Be strengthened, not in what people think of you, but be strengthened in something that God has provided to you and He has provided to all who confess Christ. The strength that is in Christ This idea of grace should not be thought of differently than any other time that you see grace in the New Testament. The common word for grace is the word that is used here. It just means unmerited favor. You say, well, how does that help me? How does that sustain me in ministry? I would just ask a counter question. What else do you need to be strengthened to that which God has called you, but to know that though you deserve to die and be condemned, God freely offered you a gift that you did not nor could have ever deserved. And so this grace that He provides, this unmerited, undeserved gifting that God provides, saves us from sin and strengthens us for His service. You say, I I face difficult tasks today. Things are not going well on the parenting front. Things are not going well on the employment front. Whatever, you fill in the line. Are you one of God's own? And if the answer is yes, you don't deserve to be. And if he can strengthen you to stand before God as blameless, he can strengthen you to face the tasks of your day. Be strengthened that is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Secondly, a true servant of the gospel teaches others to teach others. Verse 2 And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Also. Now just look at the look at the, the the expansive nature of this verse. The message of Paul, the teaching of Paul does not stay contained. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you give to others and trust to other faithful men. And those faithful men will be able to do what? They will be able to teach others as well. So a true servant of the gospel teaches others to teach others. Others, this is not the first time Paul has said something like this. Even within his own book, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. So the, the minister of the gospel should be able to say, not with ego, not with pride. I am doing my best to model a follower of Jesus to you. I'm not saying you should be like me because I'm good. I'm saying you should be able to follow the patterns of goodness in my life because Jesus is good. And as long as we follow Christ, we raise up the perfect example and pattern for living. And so this teaching, this message does not stay contained. A true minister of the gospel establishes a ministry of multiplication, not addition. You say, what do you mean by that? A true gospel minister is not saying, I'm going to go out and get one person at a time. He's saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get one person. I'm going to disciple that person and say, hey, who are you discipling? And I'm going to teach that person that I'm discipling, that they're discipling, to say, hey, who are you discipling? And then that person, that person is discipling, that person is discipling, says, hey, who are you discipling? And so the ministry of, of this, this gospel ministry is one of multiplication, not just one soul after another soul after another soul. It's the pastor helping you help others help others. It's not my job primarily to do your gospel ministry for you, and neither was was it Pastor Fisher's. It's our responsibility to help you do the ministry that you should be doing. And what a testament to Pastor Fisher and Ronald Lee's ministry. There's no shortage of people around here who can teach the word. Or at least have an affection and a desire to focus their attention on the Word. Who are you teaching? Thirdly, a true servant of the gospel suffers in service for the sake of the Savior. Share, verse 3, in suffering. Another way that you could translate this, actually a better translation, would be take your portion of suffering. Again, the assumption is made, if you're going to do this, it's not going to be easy. Share, take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul, it's going to give three illustrations for the difficulty of ministry. You see them here, verse 4, a soldier, verse 5, an athlete, verse 6, a farmer. Let's take them one at a time. And we have to understand, them, obviously, how Paul meant them originally, not just how you may think of them now. Paul uses soldier terminology more than any other analogy for the difficulty of the spiritual life. He uses soldier terminology in Romans 6, Romans 7, 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 6. Obviously, we know the armor of the Lord. You should know to be a Christian, it is going to be a battle. But this actually, so that's general. That's every Christian, it's going to be battle. But this actually, this calling that Paul explains to Timothy is actually a little bit even different than your Christian battle. Do you know why? Because Paul is explaining that not only are you going to help Christians fight, you're going to do some of their fighting for them. You're going to be on the front lines you might take a dart before they do. And when they feel loss, you'll feel loss. And when they feel failure, you'll feel failure. And when they feel alone, you will feel guilt for not being there for them. And when you see them stray, you will wonder what you should have done Not only is the Christian called to battle, the pastor is called to battle both for himself and for the ones that the Lord has given him to shepherd. He says you shouldn't get caught up in civilian pursuits. You shouldn't be distracted by lesser things in this world. There's specific examples of this in the New Testament. Demas has forsaken me having loved this world. He got caught up in a civilian pursuit. You don't serve this world. You don't get caught up in the things of this world. Do you know why you don't get caught up in the things of this world? Not primarily because of your calling, but because of the caller. Because we know to whom we will answer. For your soul's So we can't be distracted by the things of this world because there's too many needs. Our attention can't be divided because there's too many souls chasing eternity in condemnation. This is what Spurgeon means when he says, if God calls you to preach, don't stoop to be a king. You're going to fight. It's going to be hard. Share in your suffering. Secondly, the athlete, verse 4, excuse me, verse 5, no, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. You say, what does he mean when he says this? This has the idea of training. It also has the idea of training. Teaching This would have been understood very easily by the people to whom this was written. The Olympics were, were developing at this time in history, and so the, the contestants were, were learning the rules. They were learning the, the, the training that, that would take place, that needed to take place for them to succeed, for them to win. And so when Paul uses this phrase of an athlete, you can think both of the idea of training and of Teaching. You need to train to be a good Olympian. You need to train to be a good minister of the gospel. But you need to listen to the rules. And who lays down the rules? The person of Jesus Christ. So I answer to somebody. Pastor Fisher answered to somebody. Pastor Brandon answers to somebody. We have rules and they're laid down by Jesus Christ. One day, God will ask us how we did. And thirdly, the farmer. We have farmers in this room. You know the labor of it. You know the stress of it. You know the lifestyle. It consumes who you are. This is very practical instruction. And Again, I'm not saying <laughs> just practical instruction. It is what it is. He says the farmer should receive the first fruits. This is Paul's instruction to the church to make sure the pastor is cared for. But you understand the illustration that Paul is using, and many of you understand it better than other people in the room. We have we have many farmers in our congregation. Consumes your life, doesn't it? You're always thinking about tomorrow. What if the what about? Hopefully the weather's better than it was yesterday. We need good rain. We need this time. I wonder if I didn't take care of that. I wonder if the harvest is going to come in the way it should. Pastors always praying that the harvest will return like it should. Consumes the life. I do not say these things. These things I'm about to say, I do not say them for any any sort of pastoral sympathy. We love what we do. I'm expressing to you these statistics because I think it makes the point. These statistics are put out by Barna Research, Pastoral Care Institute, and the Fuller Institute. Fifteen—this was, by the way, this was put out in August of last year. Fifteen hundred clergy leave pastoral ministry each month. Sixty-one percent of congregations have forced their pastor to leave. Eighty-three percent of clergy spouses want their spouse to leave the ministry. I'm thankful that I have a faithful wife. I'm thankful that a faithful wife was modeled for you in the Fishers. Everything your pastor feels, his wife feels too. Everything. And at times, she feels it harder. When your pastor takes criticism, Do you know who wants to take up the defense when he cannot? 50% of pastors indicated that they would leave the ministry if they knew another way to make a living. They feel trapped doing God's work. 75% reported a significant stress-related or physical crisis at least once in their ministry. 90% feel they are inadequately trained to cope with the demands of ministry. 50% feel they are unable to meet the demands physically of the job. 70% have a lower sense of self-confidence than when they first started. 70% do not have someone they consider a close friend. 50% of the ministers starting will not last five years. Only one out of every ten ministers will actually retire in ministry. You had a pastor for 37 years. 94% of clergy families feel the pressure. 40% of the pastors polled their children are no longer in church. Pastoring is war. And so, praise God, you got to see it modeled faithfully. Finally, a true servant of the gospel will experience trial for the gospel transformation of his people, for God's people. You say, what keeps him doing it? I don't know, why would you, what's the purpose? What's the point of all the suffering? Why would the pastor do that? The pastor will feel that question as well. Remember Jesus Christ. Christ, risen from the dead. Because there are times, and you felt this in your own suffering, and I guarantee your pastor has as well. You say, what? Why this suffering? Why this pain? Do I really want to do the next thing? Remember Jesus Christ. Because he experienced suffering on behalf of his people in a way that no human representative ever will. But it also affects the message, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Paul says, look, I can talk to you about suffering. I'm in chains right now. And I love what he does. He uses his, he uses his circumstance of life to use a little play on words. I'm in chains, but the word of God is not bound. The Catholics, during the Reformation, they could try to chain the Bible to the platform, but the Word of God will go forth. You can't stop it. Therefore, because of remembering Jesus Christ and the Word of God that is not bound, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I think Paul is speaking here of the elect who have not yet believed and the people of God who need to grow into the glory of Christ. I serve so that people would believe in Jesus and I suffer so that people would become like Jesus. A true servant of the gospel will experience trial. Why? So that people would become like their savior. The goal of pastoral ministry is boiled down into this reality, verses eight to 10. To remember Jesus Christ, he's our ultimate, he's our ultimate object of attention and devotion. We do what we do for him. We speak the message of the gospel, the resurrection of Christ, the person of Christ, And we do it on behalf of the people so that people would know Jesus and become like Jesus. It's incredibly, and I've already mentioned this, but it's incredibly uncommon for us to be able to celebrate a pastor and wife who served for 37 years. It's incredibly uncommon. But I can tell you there's only one way that that happens. Remembering Christ, because when we remember him, we'll be strong in his grace. And when we feel the weakness of our humanity and the gravity of the calling, his grace strengthens us. I pray that as you think about Pastor Fisher, as you think about whomever the lord calls to be your shepherd you acknowledge these things from him you expect these things from him and you pray because it's a war it's a ri- it's a race it's a calling that consumes you now remember when this was written paul sends it to a church and it's read out loud as one unit in the hearing of the people. That's how the epistles functioned. Sent to a church, and it's read out loud as one unit. But I imagine, it's just imagination. But I think, it's, I think it's informed imagination. I imagine when Timothy read this first, And he read his mentor, writing, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Timothy said, Amen. And so we as a congregation acknowledge today a pastor who ran the race, won the fight, a wife who supported him, and a congregation that benefits from seeing a model of Jesus Christ. And we as a congregation must make sure that we continue to see that. Both in our endeavors in ministry and your partnership in following.